Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Today we're going to begin a series called The Kingdom of Light. And before I pray and before we get started, from the time even before the fall, when God looked at an unformed, immaterial world, there was matter without material. The Bible says the earth was void and without form. But the for- if you think for a moment about the formation, we'll realize how wonderful and how great God is. Brandy, we are right now living and existing on a ball that's in the middle of the galaxy sitting on nothing. The people who had the flat earth theory couldn't comprehend, like how is it possible for the earth to be round and when we're upside down, we don't fall down. Like, if you think about that for a minute, you're like, I see the flat earth people. We're just trying to make sense out of this. We live on a round circumference, but yet we can walk upright. God does it so well, you don't even know your position on the axis of it because God is so great. He put the sun 93 million miles from the earth. If he would have put it a little bit closer, we might all be crispy critters. He's amazing. And every now and then we just need to pause to think of that. But God saw darkness and he said, let there be light. And even in the beginning, because God has foreknowledge, after he spoke that, he separated light from darkness. And in all of humanity, and in every generation, every person who's been separated from the womb enters into the world. From the womb, it says, we were born in what? And shaped 100% of the people after Adam and Eve came that way. But because God said, let there be light, and we're going to talk about that light, how that light comes to all of us. And anyone who receives it can make manifest what the prophet Isaiah said. The people who sat in darkness saw a great light. So from the beginning, darkness and light were separated. And in this world, there's a tug of war, good and evil, light and darkness. Now I want you to get this and then we're going to pray and get into the word. This is just a setup. Tell them this is a setup. (laughs) Tell somebody, I said tell them, somebody close to you, it's a setup. There is a kingdom of darkness and there is a kingdom of light. 
Like, it's not explicit, explicitly stated, but it's all through the scripture. But here's what I want you to get so that you know we're in good hands. The one who has the whole world in his hands. The prince of the power of the air, the enemy of our soul, is called in scripture the prince of darkness. Is a king greater than a prince? Yeah, I just want to make sure y'all listening, y'all with me. So then who is the king? He rules the darkness, he's the prince. But I want you to know the kingdom that we're going to put emphasis on, we're going to contrast light and darkness. But I want to be clear from the outset, our emphasis is on the light, the king, the kingdom of light. But Jesus is called a king, and in, uh, Paul makes it clear in Colossians that everything is under his feet. Powers, principalities, everything. And he says it this way, and he has the preeminence. In other words, he comes before everything. So if you're in him, you have the authority to say, get behind me, Satan. That's why in the day of temptation, he said, when, when all the temptations are passed, he said, get behind me. What he was doing is reminding him, I am the preeminent. You were created. I am the creator. You came after. I came before. We are following the one and in the one who has preeminence. So fear not. That's why he always reminds us in scripture to fear not. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what your circumstances. Fear not. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the world in scripture doesn't just refer to the physical and material matter, it refers to the systems. And that's what God wants us to be aware of so that we can not only be overcomers, we can help others come out. Come out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is there anybody hearing me? Come on, let's pray so we can move on. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in this sacred place. We call it sacred because of your presence. And now, God, speak your word in a way that is clearly. Speak to each of us in a language we understand. Wherever we are, speak to those who never read a verse in the Bible in their life and speak likewise to those who love your word and who esteem it more than their necessary food. Wherever we are, on any end of the spectrum or in between, speak now because the entrance of your word gives light. It makes wise even the simple. Do what only you can do. 
Spirit of the living God, be our teacher. Show us all things that Jesus wants us to know in this hour, in this moment. We commit it to you. Touch my mouth now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And I don't know how far I'll get today in terms of what is outlined, but this I know, it will be complete for today, whether I get through all of it or whether I get through part of it. And it's a series, so we'll eventually get through it. So we may not get out of Ephesians, but we'll have word that goes beyond Ephesians. Are you with me? As I said last week, the word is an interpreter of itself. And I try with all the discipline in me to limit opinion, perspective, and certainly not philosophy. Philosophy has no place behind this sacred desk. So let us go to Ephesians 6 and 12. Is there anybody praying for me? Yes. Are you really praying like in your spirit right now you're praying? Because if you pray for me and I do what God says, then somebody's going to be blessed because of your prayers. So keep praying. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I think for most of us, intellectually, we get it right away. Because we know we can comprehend that. But what it means in the spirit, I pray that by the time we're done, it will be even more clear that it will go beyond our understanding and get into our spirit and deposited by the spirit of God. Because sometimes if somebody makes me mad, if someone does something and I know their intentions are bad. And I, just because of the way I'm wired and where I'm from, I feel the need. Let me be seated in the presence of God's people to lay hands on the sick <laughs> and not intending for them to recover. <laughs> Y'all know I, don't, I really don't mean that. But I might think it, which means I am now focused on flesh and blood. Are you with me? Now, I don't think I'm the only one who has moments or flashes when you're like, you know what? After I think about this, I got something to say. You ain't, we're not having this today. We're not doing this. But if we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the behavior that you see goes beyond the person. And what God wants us to see are the forces that are causing that behavior and deal with that. Because if you deal with that, the problem will be solved. 
But if I, on my own accord, deal with it in a carnal way, it only escalates the problem. Even if I win, I lose. Because now I've defiled myself, and you've defiled yourself. It's important that we understand that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rule, rulers of what? The darkness of this age. And every age or every generation has darkness to deal with. Have rulers and principalities, and you see there are levels. I want you to notice two things. Every one of those is plural. It ends with an S. It's not just one, it's more than one. Do you see plurality in that? Because when the enemy, come on, oh, it's a system. When the enemy was cast out of heaven and Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. He wasn't alone. In Revelations it says a third of the angels followed him. That dragon, that serpent, with his tail convinced a third of them. God wants us to be, even though we're a little lower than the angels, we're weaker, but we're wiser because Jesus has given us revelation and we've come out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what he's trying to do with the time that he has, he knows his time is limited, Mom Barlow. There's no redemption for him. Just like he deceived the third of the angels who were in the presence of God. He wants to do to us, but we're not ignorant of his devices. You're not welcome in this place. We're not having that. We're the one, we're with the one who has preeminence and he's given us preeminence with him. And so we say, get behind me. Whoever is behind you is following you. Whoever is in front of you is leading you. You need to say in your spirit to some things to get behind you. Instead of fighting back, speak to the spirit. Not out loud, but in your spirit. But if it's called for, if it's called for, speak out loud. Somebody say, speak it. Against spiritual host, is that singular or plural, of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He can saturate the atmosphere with darkness. He can saturate the atmosphere with a spirit that impacts people's behavior and conduct. But when our eyes, when the eyes of our understanding is enlightening, enlightened, we can have deliverance around us. You don't need a deliverance service to have deliverance. There are people who are set free, sometimes with just a simple word. When the person who speaks it is in the presence of God and is aware that they're in the presence of God and knows that the kingdom of God has come near you. So rather than saying, we're not going to have that today, you can speak a word and that person's behavior 
will change. Am I talking to anybody who's had any experience with what I'm talking about? So can we go deeper on that verse? Put that verse back up. Can we go deeper? I'm going to tell you a story that's in Scripture. The story is in the Scripture. The, the mothers, when I was younger, used to say, tell the story. But they're not talking about tell a story. Like in my house, a story meant a lie. Because my mother was so saved, she wouldn't let me say lie. It's like, you lie. <laughs> All right. No, it's a story. The story in this book is true. I slapped myself too hard. She used to do it harder, I promise you. But we're talking about what's written. We don't want to speak of anything above that which is written because that's what we're instructed. So what I'm about to say is not going to be on the screen. That's why I want to leave this. But I want you to be like Bereans. The, Paul said the Bereans were wiser than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul said was so. So I'm going to give you the address. You can look at it later. And for all of you who have Bible apps, and you can look it up quick. If you look down, I won't be mad at you. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Before that, Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In that context, he's saying they're not earthly, not the earthly weapons. The spiritual wickedness is in heavenly places. The weapons that were given are from heaven. So you meet force with force. And since the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven have suffered violence and the violent take it by force. So even though we're meek and we're kind, we're also forceful when we use those weapons. Are you with me? So in the book, Of, did I hear somebody say something? Somebody going ahead of me? In the book of Joshua, I want you to write this down. We're not going to put it on the screen. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. I'm going to tell you the story. But you know Joshua in the first chapter when God let him know my servant Moses is dead, he told him something he already knew. Sometimes, says God will tell us something that we already knew because he wants to make a point to show us the purpose in this when we're in despair. Because Joshua saw the people who were panicking, and he's like, Moses, who was 
my minister, my mentor, what are we going to do now? So God speaks to him and says, Moses, my servant is dead, and now you're going to lead my people. And he said, but I want you to know something. Just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. We're still talking about the kingdom of light, but how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. But then he said, I know, Brenda, you want to sing that. We're going to sing that in a little while. This is how we fight our battles. Tim and the worship team, get ready. I know that's not on the docket, but it is now. So he says to this, but here's what I want you to know. He didn't just say, just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. He wanted to give him insurance. He said, all the days of your life, no one will be able to stand against you. He said, only, only, don't let the word of the law depart from your mouth. And see, in our, con our contemporary vernacular, that's kind of hard to understand if you take it literally. God is saying, I want you to meditate on my word and I want you to speak that. I want your life to be governed by my word. When you instruct your children, do it according to my word. When you speak to the people, don't do it out of your feelings or out of your emotions. Do it according to my word. And that's why Joshua, when the people were divided, said, choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord because God settled that with him up front. But these are things that we can understand intellectually, but until you experience it, you don't really know it. Like there are things that I understand with my mind that I know when I experience it. Do you understand? That's why the Bible, even when it talks about intimacy, it says he knew her. He knew her. Before he had met her, I like her. I like the way she looks. But intimacy says, come on, intimacy, I know you. Come on, pick up your minds. Intimacy. I know you. I really now know you. That's experiential. Are you with me? So when we get to uh, chapter 5, God is about to teach Joshua what he meant when he said, all the days of your life, no one will stand before you because then you could think, I'm the champion of the world. Anybody who, who comes at me, I'm going to rebuke you with the sword of my mouth. I'm going to take you down with the fire of heaven. I'll call fire from heaven on you. That's not what he's talking about. Joshua now has the task of leading God's people into a fortified city. High walls, high walls, deep, thick walls, impenetrable. There's no army that can get in there without being plucked off. They'll just put watchmen on the top and their arrows get you. You're like fish in a barrel. And God tells him what to do before he overtakes it. 
So the first thing that God needed to do with Joshua is to give him an experience. That's where we get to Joshua 5, verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. There's a person who shows up. Joshua's preparing for battle. Minister Howard, he has all the commanders ready to go. He has the priest ready to go. He's going to give them their orders. But he sees a man in the desert, not far from Jericho. And he comes up to him. And Joshua says, are you with us or our enemies? Now, Joshua had not even had the revelation to send in spies. Like, who would think of that? How am I going to send in the spies? They're going to die. There's no way to get in. The city is shut up. Nobody's going out and nobody's going coming in. And you know why they were shut up? Because they were afraid of the children of Israel. They heard about what God had done. I want you to know, sometimes the reason the enemy caused things to act up around you is because you're feared because he knows God's hand is on you. And so Joshua would not have thought of sending spies because it'd be sending them to a certain death. But he asked the question, are you with us or with our adversaries? And the answer was neither, neither. Here's the first lesson. Don't expect God to be on your side. You find out what side he's on and you be on the Lord's side. Who's on the Lord's side? I'm on the Lord's side. So he said, but Joshua's mindset was binary. Are you for us or against us? Because if I have to take out my sword, <laughs> he had a carnal weapon. But he said, neither. But I am sent as the captain of the host. You see that? Spiritual wickedness. Spiritual host of wickedness. The one, the man who's standing in front of him, Fatima said, I'm sent as the captain of the host, the Lord of hosts. We'll talk about that in a minute. I don't want to get in, I don't want to get ahead of myself. And then Joshua asked another simple question. And he said, the, the man, I'm going to stay with the man for a minute, said, take the shoes off your feet because the ground you're standing is holy. Now remember when Moses was on the mount, what did God say to him? Take the shoes off your feet. Sound familiar? Joshua's like, I remember the story that Moses told me. And instantly, you'll read it yourself, instantly Joshua realized he worshiped. He took all the shoes off his feet and he began to worship. He realized, I'm in the presence of the Lord. The captain of the host showed up to let him know, you're about to fight, but the weapons you're going to use are not the ones that you've devised. You're not going to use weapons that have been devised by a blacksmith. You're not going to use the weapons that you're accustomed to. The weapons that you're going to fight this battle with are not carnal. They're mighty through God. So I need you to pump the brakes for a minute. I'm, I've been sent to go before you. And I've got a host that are with me. A heavenly host. The same host that Jesus said he could have called before he went to the cross. 
He said, I'm not from this world. He said, if my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight for me. But I'm not from this world. He said, I can call a legion of angels and they would come and fight for me, but I'm not going to do it because he had us in mind. He's like, I've got to die. I got to die for Bob. I got to die for all of these people, some who are yet unborn. I came to represent them. Lord, have mercy. We sang the song in worship. He thought, he thought so much of me. He thought I was worth saving. He thought I was worth healing. He sacrificed his life so I could be free, so I could be whole, so I can tell everyone I know about him. See, that's why we go because we're free, we're whole, and now we have a responsibility to tell everyone I know. Come see a man. So Joshua now gets the revelation, and that captain of the host was Jesus Christ. Was Jesus Christ. The evidence of that also, David the psalmist in Psalm 110 and 1 talks about or in Psalm 110, he talks about the Lord of hosts. Open up, O ye gates. Now, he, they're going to a fortified city where the gates are impenetrable. Open up, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts is his name. He's mighty in battle. There's not a battle that you and I fight that he can't win. There's not a battle that we fight that he doesn't show up for. I'm reminded of Stephen laying in a pool of blood, being stoned, and he said, I look up and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He'll stand up for you. He'll stand up for you. Even when I don't stand up for myself, Jesus is standing, and he's standing in power. He's standing in glory and the brightness of his countenance. And I want to tell you something. When Jesus stands up, you'll realize that the bright light in the kingdom is brighter than the sun. If, if Paul were here, I say, Paul, tell us about it. And one day, I was on the road of going to Damascus and I was knocked off the beast. I thought what I was doing was for God and I didn't realize in the name of religion I was operating in darkness but one day one day the light knocked me off the beast. The light was so bright that the light knocked me off the beast and he said I saw a light that was brighter than the noonday sun and it blinded me. Can you imagine? Paul is in the desert in the, in the peak of sunlight. He said noonday sun. He said the light that shone about me was brighter. I want you to know the glory that's in the kingdom of light is brighter than the noonday sun. The day will come in the sweet by and by when we'll have no need for the sun because the lamb is the light. His glory, 
His glory is blinding. His glory is blinding. Just like you can't look up at an eclipse. Paul said, who are you, Lord? Can you imagine? So that's why I'm talking about some things we know only when we experience them. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. But when he encounters the Lord, his first question is, who are you, Lord? You don't have to ask that of someone you know. I pray that the brightness of his glory will shine in such a way that we'll get a new revelation of him. Let me get back. Let me get back to Jericho. Listen, listen. I just left Jericho to journey to Damascus for a moment. It's in the same region. Now let's go back to Jericho. So he sends out some spies. Are you with me? See, he understands the spies because there were 12 spies, but he and Caleb were the two who saw things different. So I believe Joshua was more discerning. And he picked a few and he sent them and they got in. How did they get in? I don't know, the scripture doesn't tell us that, but what it does tell us is when they got in, God sent them to a harlot named Rahab. I want you to hear this. The Lord said, don't despise and don't look down on someone because of your perception of them. You have no idea who the master has need of to use. And that's why we move in relationship, not religion, because religion would say, I'm not even going in the house of this harlot. And you know, Peter was like that with Gentiles, I won't go. But God gave him an experience on a rooftop. And then he went into the house. And when he spoke the words in the, in the midst of a people who he thought were defiled, the Holy Ghost fell. And it changed Peter. God sometimes will use those who you see as marginalized to change you and to change me. But they go into the house of this harlot and it's men. Brothers, I need you to hear this because God spoke it to me and now I'm going to speak it. This is for everybody, but brothers, I want you to understand this. They knew she was a harlot. They went into her house. They even stayed overnight. She hid them under the flax on the roof for at least three days because she said, the men who are looking for you, I sent them on a wild goose chase. But in three days, it'll be safe for you to go. They stayed there three days and there was no harlotry because they were men of God. They didn't go there for that. Some of us don't have the grace for that. And if such, God said, stay away. <laughs> That's why Joshua 
And I'm talking to you about practical stuff. Am I still preaching? Am I still teaching? So God gave him the discernment as to who to send. And they didn't judge her. And she said, I want you to know something. See, they got some information that'll help us in ministry. That the people of Jericho don't go out or come in and the walls are sealed because they fear you. They fear you. And he said, she said, when you come, you shall surely overtake it because the Lord your God is with you. But only have mercy on me and my father's house. And they said, if you don't let this thing leak, I'm talking to you in 2024. Essentially, if this thing doesn't leak and we keep it, it's a surprise attack. When you come, I want, when we come, you and your father's house and anybody you bring will be spared. And she put that scarlet cord outside of her house and the, the spies told Joshua. And when Joshua gave the instruction, the first thing he said, only spare the house of Rahab the harlot. Don't touch them. So you, I can imagine she got her father's house, her brothers, all, and then her friends. The reason I believe this is so is because it says everybody who was with her. And you remember Cornelius? who didn't really know the Lord, but he prayed and his prayers went up as a memorial and God sent Peter there. It said his family and his neighbors and his friends. See, that's why we gather people together in the house of God. The Philippian jailer, remember when Paul was free, he said, do yourself no harm. He already took out a sword, gonna kill himself because he's like, the king is going to torture me. I'm going to die a painful death. But Paul said, do yourself no harm. And then his question was, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. I'm trying to communicate a principle that those who are covered are also a covering. If you are covered, you are a covering. Everybody that was in Cornelius' house, saved. Everybody who was in Rahab's house, saved. I don't care what it looks like. It might look like we're surrounded, but we're surrounded by him. That's why we fight our battles according to the heavenly vision. So they go back, they tell Joshua, and Joshua now is ready to get another word from the Lord. And the Lord said, this is what you shall do. He said, you get the priest together and have them go before the people. And I want you to march around the walls of Jericho. I want you to march around the walls one time every day for six days, for six days, you shall say nothing, just walk. And as I'm reading this, Mom Paul, I'm thinking, Lord, all these people, the watchmen on the wall are gonna see them. 
But because God told them they couldn't do anything, they saw them, they didn't know what to do. They're like, we're going to wait until they attack. Don't move till you see the whites of their eyes. March around and say nothing. That takes discipline because you want to say something. And you might have a bunch of yahoos in the army who want to let it known that they're there. Charge! Every single person obeyed. He said on the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times, but on the seventh time, I want you to shout. I want you to shout. Joy Bob, where are you? Joy, can you go up to the trumpet? He said on the seventh day, I want you to shout with your voice. But the first thing that they need to hear, the enemy and my people, is the shout of the trumpet. Because the trumpet alerts the people to war. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, you need to get ready. And that's why God said to Isaiah, Rita, I want you to lift up your voice like a trumpet in Zion. I want you to show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sin. When you hear the alarm and you don't respond accordingly, it's on you. But if the trumpet isn't blown, to the one who's assigned, the blood is on their hands. So they march around six times in silence. And then they shout. And then the sound of the trumpet. And it is the shofar. It says a trumpet of the ram's horn. So in those days, a trumpet was a shofar. And when the trumpet sounded and the priest did in obedience what God said, the Bible says the walls fell flat to the ground. Now when, jo when Joshua met the Lord of hosts, he wanted to know whose side are you on? He got his sword, he ready to fight with carnal weapons. Can you see how the weapons of our warfare are not carnal? So God gave Joshua a heavenly vision, which he obeyed. And then they got everything, all the spoils. But here's what God said. And here's where the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. When light overtakes darkness, you got to hear God and do what he says. Obedience is important. He said, I want you to go in and you take all the spoils. This is what Joshua is telling the captains. He said, but do not touch the accursed things and the unclean things. He said, the silver, the gold, and all that, that's gonna go in the Lord's treasury because they are consecrated. He said, we're gonna consecrate those and put them in. And another time, we'll talk about the mistake Hezekiah made by showing the consecrated things to the kingdom of darkness. Come on. Anybody with me? 
He said, we're going to take the consecrated things, but don't take the things that are not consecrated. They obeyed in most things, but where do you think they fell? They fell like the walls of Jericho. When they got in, some stuff looked good. They're like, okay. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, let's see this. <laughs> Take it a little bit. And here's what God put this word in Joshua's mouth. And he told it to the people. He said, because if you touch or take the accursed things, you're going to bring a curse on the camp, on us. Now, they just won this mighty battle because heaven fought it for them. And they obeyed. And some of the people who are a part of the assembly touched the accursed things. And right after Jericho, right after the story of Jericho is the story of AI. Not artificial intelligence. Not the Philadelphia answer, Allen Iverson. <laughs> not AI, that's my dude, but we ain't talking about him. AI, a small nation that they thought, we got them. And they didn't get instruction from heaven. And AI want them. And Joshua prayed and God said, get up. There's sin in the camp. He's like, you should have known this. What are you doing, Tom? Get out. There's sin in the camp. And he dealt with it. What is the lesson? God separated light from darkness from the beginning as a foreshadow of his people and those who would follow or live in darkness. The prophet Isaiah, let me, let me make that point further by the word. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9 and 2, I believe, says the people who sat in darkness saw a great light. The NIV version I like better because it says the people who lived, who were living in darkness, saw a great light. And who is that light? Jesus. And that light said to us, we are the light of the world. And all the lights together form in this dispensation, the kingdom of light. So if our light be darkness, Jesus said this, how great is the darkness. So we need to obey him every step of the way so that heaven can give us victory, so that we will not encounter an AI. And you know what the temptation is with AI? It's like, this is a small thing. I got this. No, 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 no. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. See, the big things, we can see that, but God is saying, obey me in everything, and you will be victorious in your life in every single way. Here's the last point, and then we'll keep it, because it's a series. Nothing is going to be left undone, no stone unturned. When Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. The three temptations came and at the end of it, he says, Satan, get behind me. 
That's in uh, Matthew 4, beginning at verse 1. And right after Jesus says, get behind me, so I want you to read Matthew 4 today. The Bible says, it quotes Isaiah. It quotes Isaiah and it says, it talks about Zebulun and Naphtali. And it says, and then Jesus, after the temptation, in order to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, which says, the people who lived in darkness saw, have seen a great light. And then the next letters after that uh, promise of fulfillment of that prophecy are in red, which means Jesus begins his ministry and he speaks. And the first word that comes out of his mouth is repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He began to preach the gospel of the kingdom when that was fulfilled. And, and the reason that triggered it is because the light had come. And I want you to know that there are people in the world, there are people that we interact with who need to come to the light. We are blessed to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, who should show forth the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Would you stand with me for a moment? I want to minister to somebody just for a minute. Stand with, if you can, stand with me. If you can't, it's okay to sit. When you read Matthew, you will never hear the kingdom of God. You'll never read it. You'll only read the kingdom of heaven. Every other gospel, you will, you will read kingdom of God. Those are questions in scripture we ought to say, why? And I want to connect that to Rahab, and then the spirit wants to minister to some. Some of you might be on live stream. Some might be in the room. Matthew, being a publican, did not feel worthy to scribe the name of God. So he never wrote the name of God. And even the scribes who put together the canon of the books that we call the Bible, whenever they would write Adonai or Yahweh or Elohim or Jehovah of any, Jehovah Rapha, Rapha Jehovah Zitkanu, any of those, they would literally wash themselves. And then they would go back and scribe some more. And when they get to the name of God, they would wash themselves because they felt we have to be purified. And because Matthew was a publican, he said, I'm not worthy to write the name of God. I can't wash myself clean enough to do it. And there are some people whose past makes them feel unworthy. 
And I want you to know you're not alone. That's the reason why Matthew never, you will never find in Matthew the kingdom of God. Only the kingdom of heaven because he felt unworthy to scribe the name of God. And God told me before I entered this room, there are people who are my people who feel unworthy. And he said, that's not unusual. He said, Peter, who I appointed to be the chief apostle, when I was about to be taken up and I was ready to wash their feet in his pride because he didn't know what I came to do really. He said, no, no, you can't wash my feet. Lord, I'll never let you do it. He said, if I don't wash you, my carabo, you'll have no part in me. And so Peter said, Lord, not just my feet, but my head and my whole body. I don't know who God is ministering to, but he said, you don't need that because you are clean through the word that I spoke to you. He said, I know you feel, I know you feel like filth, but I've cleansed you. And once I make you clean, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Let's, can we just reference Rahab one more time in her community and even her house? She wasn't called simply by her name, Rahab. She's known as Rahab the harlot. All of her adult life, she's reminded of her harlotry. But in this moment of faithfulness to God, God blotted out everything. How can we know that? In the book of Matthew, when you read the genealogy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't mean to do this. But I feel close to God's heart right now. I feel close to his heart. Written in the names among kings and great people, I see two women, a Moabitess, who every time she showed up, she was called Ruth the Moabitess, which is, was a reminder, Minister Sample, of the fact that you were born out of incest. Moab was the firstborn, the firstborn. of two sons of incest. And so every time she hears that, she's reminded of that. But God caused her to be the great, great grandmother of King David. And King David holds the sepulcher. Because of him, Jesus came through the tribe of Judah. Je Jesus can turn everything around. And race. So it doesn't matter who reminds you of your past. God wants you to know about your future. And in, in his presence, who you are. And Rahab, in the chronicles of all those great people, Rahab is in the lineage of the bloodline of Jesus Christ. He'll change your bloodline. 
You can have curses in your family, but when you come to Jesus, his blood changes it. I don't care if your blood type is, is A, B, O, positive or negative. When you come to Jesus, it becomes G O D. A brand new bloodline. He makes all things new. And the prince of darkness always wants to remind us of our past. And, caught, and there's many examples in scripture. I just mentioned a couple of Ruth and Rahab and Peter and even Paul. After Paul saw that great light, he writes about himself. I am the chief of all sinners. He said, I'm not worthy to be an apostle because, because of what I did to his church. But he said, but I labor more than them all. I want you to know the anecdote for what you feel when you feel unworthy. It's to yoke up with him and labor. See, that's our co-labor with him. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He washed, he throws my past and every transgression into the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers it no more. So let's pray together. Father, you know our spiritual infirmities and you are with us in our hour of weakness. There are some that are in your presence right now. We stand together whose past continue to be shackles. I pray that you would break the shackles even now. God, we see what you did for Rahab. We remember what you did for Ruth. And we saw the deliverance of Peter and Paul and all of them are close to you, just as we are. And God, like Matthew, who lived with you, who was close to you, who was faithful, he felt unworthy. Speak to our hearts now. Let us sense your love and approval. Speak to everyone who is cast down in their soul and revive them again so your people can rejoice in you. God, we know that we are not deserving of your love, but we also know that we have been made accepted in the beloved. It's because of him that we come boldly. I pray for great deliverance. I pray that in this place, because of the light that shines brightly, that there would be deliverance. God, I'm not talking about a deliverance service. I'm talking about you 
setting captives free. And not just in this place, wherever the soles of our feet shall trod, remind us of the authority that we have in the one who is preeminent, the one who is king, even over the ruler of darkness. The rulers of darkness must bow to him because they know him and in some cases better than we do. And they know that their judgment is sure. So I pray God that there would be no delusion. There would be no deception. There would be no feelings of separation from you only conviction when needed to draw us nearer to you and so now together we join our faith together and draw near to you expecting you to fulfill your promise that when we draw near to you you will draw near to us in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray. And together we say it is so. And so it is in Jesus' name. Give God a hand clap. Give God a praise. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.